On November 9th, 2018, 11 days before my 40th birthday, I started a Facebook blog page called Zero Shame 40s. It was an homage to my shame-focused therapy, and for some reason, people liked it, and now there's a podcast. The page is all about me, Lacey J, but the podcast is all about you. My friends and family have agreed to chat with me about their unique lives. Everyone has something to say if you're willing to listen. These are Zero Shame Stories. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Zero Shame Stories. It's fucking episode 12. I don't even know how this has happened. Because you've done 11 others before this. Oh my God, look who's here. It's my husband, Ben. He's got the good info. Captain Obvious. <laughs> Captain. A.K.A. Captain Obvious. Mm, Captain Arias. All right. How are you, my dear? Obviously, I'm well. How is it obvious? Because I'm Captain Obvious. <laughs> All right. You win this battle. <laughs> Obviously. So, yeah, well, okay. Listen, right before we started recording this, I had to take like a 10-minute... What did I tell you? I needed to decompress from like shit I was doing in the day. So I put on some big hair ballads. And one of them was um, Close My Eyes Forever, Ozzy Osbourne, Lita Ford. And I'm listening to this song and I'm just thinking, <laughs> thinking two things. I'm thinking, I'm thinking one, they don't fucking make songs like this anymore. And then I was thinking, too, that's some shit old people say. <laughs> what the fuck? It's very true. True and true. <laughs> I keep like, I keep realizing I want to say things that, that I'm just like, no. <laughs> and one of them is they don't make songs like that anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, am I wrong about that, Ben? Am I wrong? Well, I'm sure I'm sure songs like that are still being made. They're not just well. you're just not hearing them. Mm. I'm know. sure I am the sure the days of the big hair I, bands are gone. No, I'm but. sure there's a lot of people like me with home studios making butt rock that's probably rivals anything that mm -hmm. was that was done back in the day. It's just they can't fit into that spandex anymore. And if I close my eyes forever. No, I'm just kidding. No, you know you're not kidding. You're doing that. <laughs> what I mean is, I'm kidding. I'm kidding that I could possibly sing <laughs> that song and not sound horrible, which is why I more like whispered it. But listen, last week, do you remember how fucked up I was last week with my headache? It got better. I do remember how fucked up you were. It was so fucked up that it was I forgot. Pleasant. It was pleasant. <laughs> Stop. Explain. It was unpleasant, so unpleasant. that's why I said it was pleasant. No, I said it was pleasant, but for I you? meant it was unpleasant. Oh. I thought maybe it was pleasant for you because, like, when I have a headache, I'm not talking as much. <laughs> no, that doesn't stop you. Doesn't? No. I stand corrected. Um, yeah, so I was so fucked up last week that when we recorded the little chat like we're doing right now, I completely forgot to record a trailer to the podcast. And so 
You guys don't even know what's coming up today except for the title that gives a lot away. And I just wanted to apologize. I wasn't at my best last week, guys. I feel really bad. We forgive you. I'm speaking for all, all, everyone all, else. All of our listeners. Yeah. Um. So I'm banned from Facebook again. <laughs> Big surprise. <laughs> uh, I am convinced that I am on some sort of watch list now because the bans are coming quick. I was banned for 30 days for saying kill the filibuster. And then I was back for about three days and I got seven days for quoting a MAGA who said they wanted to kill liberals. Literally got a ban <laughs> for the word kill again. Only this time it was in quotes. I submitted it for a second review. I disputed it. And I said that I didn't think that Facebook understood my content or excuse me, understood my context. And I, I disputed that. And it came back within like five seconds. I said, nope, this is valid. <laughs> like, Oh, really? Somebody reviewed it. Uh, yeah, so then I was back for a few days, and then now I have another 30-day ban because I called someone a twat uh, because they were fat-shaming someone else. And I was nabbed for 30 days for bullying, and the person's comment that was full of fat-shaming was left up. So. <laughs> Facebook is basically on the wrong side of every issue. And uh, I kind of want to just quit the whole fucking thing, but I feel like I would miss my family and then also my followers. My page, your zero shame 40s for those of you who somehow don't know that and are still on episode, what did we say? Like 12? 12. Um, I've got like 23,000 followers now and I have several hundred that are fairly active, regular commenters and or you know we message with each other and um i would really miss these people i like the community that i've built i just am so frustrated with facebook and how unfair they are and how every time i fight back against anything i get banned if i'm fighting against fat shaming or if i'm fighting against misogyny or if i'm fighting against white supremacy every time i do that they fucking nab me and i i don't really know i don't know what to do with facebook anymore I know you don't give a fuck. You're only on there for, I mean. Puns. Puns. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. End of Facebook rant. What else is going on? <clears throat> the CDC came out a few days ago. I'm going to stop pretending like we're not recording these on Fridays. You guys are listening to this on Sunday or beyond, but it was Friday of last week that the CDC came out and said, literally, Quote, a pandemic for the unvaccinated is coming. I'm having a hard time feeling bad, and I want to set aside the idea of vulnerable populations. I can think of several people that I love who are vulnerable and their children who are vulnerable and obviously I would never wish anything on them, but I'm having a hard time feeling sorry for people who refuse to get vaccinated if they get sick or if they die. And it's like a, an ethical and a moral sort of issue that I am I am struggling with because I want to be the kind of person that cares about everyone, even if those people don't see things the way I see them. But... Um, 
I'm struggling with this. I kind of love you. <laughs> Empathy has always been a bit harder for me to conjure uh, than, than myself. Than yeah. you. Well, um, I have. I'm. I have that. That I'm afflicted with feeling everything. Um. So I mean, empathy to a fault, I imagine. But yeah. I just I kind of look at it like it's a circus act, you know. Like all you're doing at this point with these people is you're watching you're watching a tightrope walker. Sooner or later, the fucker's gonna fall, right? And if there's no net, they die. Well, how are you reconciling in your head? Like, how are you how are you separating how you feel about vulnerable populations and how you feel about the stubborn, willfully ignorant population? Because that's where I'm. That's where I'm struggling. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the problem with what's going on here is that these these fucking obstinate jackasses who aren't getting inoculated are putting an entire population of, of younger people in danger of, of other unvaccinated people. Yeah. Now, for the people who have the ability or have had the uh, occasion to get one and are willfully not doing it. Mm hmm. Fuck them. I'm at the point where I, you, you've but had that's the where opportunity. I am too, no, that's where I am too. But how do you separate that from the vulnerable populations? Because it's all wrapped up into one. I get that. Um, <sighs> yeah, it's fucked up. It's fucked up. It's I mean, it's, 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 there's, there's repercussions for anything and, and there's no, nothing yeah. happens in a vacuum. Yeah. Right. And these people are, are so despicable and so self-involved and so fucking delusional that they are putting at risk other people and they don't give a fuck. And, you know, and to them it's, it's all, Oh, this is, this is personal freedom when what this is, is, is civic responsibility. And also it's not, it's not about freedom. It, these people that say, I don't like to be told what to do. Oh, they yes, you do. You love it. You love it. You have to be told what to do. It's just that you don't want to be told what to do by someone who you perceive as an enemy because some big fucking orange idiot told you that they're an enemy that's the fucking problem or 20 or 20 years of right-wing media have told yeah. you they're the enemy anybody that that is that is you know eloquent learned you know and, and generally the right people like that, schooling and education are somehow have been morphed into this like yeah. bad thing this indoctrination yeah. of liberal ideas yeah. of like you know living yeah they're like, ooh, you, you, you know, you people that you go to college and you get indoctrinated into this liberal mindset. It's like, right. no, people who are more educated have a tendency to be more liberal. Well, and it, so here's it, why. there's a correlation there. Well, so like, you're, yes, and 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 here's the thing that, that 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 these these people, well, some of them understand people like you know Tucker Carlson who have these people who have educate higher education. They understand. They just pander to the idiots, but people who poo-poo higher education is because they don't understand it. They call it indoctrination. But when you go into higher education, you're not taught what to think. You're taught how to think. Yes. And that's one of the biggest failings of this fucking country is that we should be teaching people how to think yep. since the age of reason, which is like eight. <laughs> eight years old, we could start teaching people critical thinking yeah. and and logic and logical fallacies. It's called the age of reason for a reason. It's because you can reason at that age. The fact that you don't get that until college is a fucking problem. And that's the thing that these people don't like. Because once you learn how to think, their fallacious arguments become so obvious. Oh, yeah. 
that's why they don't like higher education. And now I feel I'm fucking pumped up. I can, <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's talk about this. Let's talk about your home state. Oh, my God. The Texas Democrats have fled the fucking state in order. To be to, fair, to, I was born in Michigan. You're right. Okay, that's fine. You were born in Michigan. You lived in Texas from the time you were, what, two or three? Two, yeah. two until... 26. 20, okay, so your home fucking state. <laughs> <laughs> the, de- the Democrats, the Texas Democrats have fled. They fled the fucking state because they, they're trying to keep the, the GOP from voting to remove uh, 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 voting rights from Texans. And by Texans, I mean black Texans. These people, these people who have fled this state and who are standing strong and who are saying, no, God damn it, every American has the right to vote. These people are fucking patriots. Not that is these, true. Not these flag-waving MAGA fucking in, I- idiots that Texas is fucking infested with. These Democrats are patriots. They are protecting the right to vote for everyone, regardless of who that person votes for. And the GOP does not care about that. They only want, they want a gerrymander, and they only want people who will vote for them to be allowed to vote because they're fucking fascists. I'm wound up. I can tell. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, and I, you know, I read an op- <laughs> fucking wound up. I read an op-ed. I read an op-ed in, in New York Times yesterday. You know, oh, big surprise. I'm reading the New York Times. You hear that, Dad? I read the New York Times. Um, <laughs> you communist. Yeah, you com- exactly. You, you commie, commie socialist. What other Marxist? Fucking, Marxist yeah, fucking yeah. insults can I throw at you? Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, you know, it was basically talking about how how despite the fact that like Texas is 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 actually more of a purple state, um, the the fact that like the government is so far right yeah. because every because every position there, well, it's 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 that, and it's it's a, a bit of that, and then it's that that's kind of led into the fact that like donors don't want to give in Texas because they don't want to back losing causes because they always lose, and you know now you've got you're at the point where you have like you know, a cunt like Greg Abbott who runs that. And he, I mean, he is a pandering fascist piece of shit. I am so fucking tired of white, weak men who need to posture. Oh yeah. And who, and who these, these fucking, these fucking white supremacists, whether they want to admit it or not, these old, white men these misogynists i ha- i'm on f- i have to stop talking you i don't I- your words aren't working your words it's aren't not, working no it's just that i'm 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 overwhelmed with anger right now and this is being recorded so i should probably <laughs> i personally th- this whole thing has made me feel just, it's made me feel a couple things one this i feel that i feel a sense of reverence for the the democratic legislature that led the state absolutely um because i believe they are doing what they know is right Mm -hmm. and it's not convenient for their lives no right like what they're doing is no if they have to keep this up like it could be years before they go home yeah they could they could literally be (laughs) yeah yeah, like like in exile yes essentially Um, yes and protect to protect the fucking right to vote which they have to protect from the republicans my god what the fuck 
fuck is this shit? And, the, and then Greg Abbott is talking about how he's going to sick the police on them. I'm like, the, the police can't do a fuck all pass over state lines, you asshole. And I can guarantee you, if you wanted to cross state lines, you'd have to go to the federal government. And the FEB, I'm sorry, the FBI is going to tell you to go fuck yourself. I certainly fucking hope so. Have you seen this shit? Some of these books coming out now and the and, oh, yeah. and the stuff that was going on during the, during the Trump administration and this and, and General Milley, who is a goddamn hero. Uh, I wouldn't want him if I were going to do a coup. Well, that's what the president said, isn't it? Yeah. If I were going to do a coup, do I wouldn't coup. do it. Do a coup. That's what he said. If I was going to do a coup, I wouldn't do it with General Milley. I'd be yeah, a, that's I'd be because a fool. General Milley. I'd, I'd be a fool to do a coup. Oh, my God. Jesus fucking Christ. You know this, what? Is, this is reality, <sighs> by the way. Like, Just Listen, everybody, let's do this. Let's take a deep breath. I think you, In through the nose and... I think you're projecting your your feelings on everyone else. I think it's just you that's like this right now. Unless, no, unless I don't no, know. Because you know, I show up hands. Who out there has gotten really fucking amped listening to Lacey over the last ten minutes? That's what I was going to say. Is because they're listening to me and they need. It's not. It's not the deep breaths. It's not the deep breaths because democracy's crumbling. It's deep breaths because Lacey is stressing me out. Let's go yeah. in through the nose. Now through the mouth. Quit blowing into the mic. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> mm. Mic technique, for Christ's sake, off axis, aim at the side of your mouth, quit blowing into it. (laughs) All right, we're going to move on. A few things. We've got some some notes about about podcasts and about what we're doing. I have some things that I need to tell you guys. Are you ready? Next week. Not this week, not this episode. Next week is the last episode of season one of Zero Shame Stories. We are not entirely sure of our return date. It won't be very long. I already have uh, interviews booked for season two. I've got a couple that I have to redo. We had a steep learning curve this season and uh, recording over the web is tricky. We've learned a lot of things. So there are a couple things I have to re-record if people are willing. And I have some new interviews set up. We're not going away forever, uh, but we are we are reorging a little bit here at Space Bear Media, and I'm going to get to our focus here in a second. But before that, <clears throat> I will say next week, our last episode is going to be a good episode. It's going to be me and my bestest, Christy. And then we're going to be off for several weeks. Mowage. Let's talk about Mowage. Ben and I have decided that Mowage is going to be a limited series. We decided we're really not that interesting. No, that's not what it is. Um, uh, that's what it was for me. Okay. I'm going to take a sip of this beer that I have. Actually, it's not. It's, um, it's no, a, it is. It's, it's a pale a beer. ale. It's, it's a, a blood orange pale ale that I've been into. Mm. <sighs> yeah. Mowage is going to be a limited series. Because, um, because we mapped out a lot of the episodes and we decided we have uh, a story to tell. We have uh, years that we have been together. The, the, the issues that we think are worth discussing and that has an eventual end to it. Now, having said that, for our Patreon subscribers... 
it will not be over. Now, when I say over in limited series, this uh, Mowage will run through early January. And then after that, for people who are Patreon subscribers at patreon.com slash zero shame 40s, you will get other content kind of like this. We're going to... Sorry. (laughs) As you can tell, we're going to go a little more lowbrow with it. Not right. When I say this, I don't mean gross belching. What I mean is it's going to be kind of like this. We are going to check in with you guys in real time, and we're going to talk about all things Mowage as far as, like, the story that we have to tell is going to go through January, and that's going to get you guys to know us. And then our subscribers are going to know us even better. And as we go forward, we're going to pop in with little um, bits and pieces of chats, kind of like we're doing now. Dick pics. Uh, depends on the tier that you subscribe to. <laughs> um, so that's what we have to say about Mowage. Um, and FYI, coming out tomorrow on Mowage is our uh, trip to the sex club. We're going to talk about that. No, wait. Wait. What fucking day is it? <laughs> tomorrow it might be the following monday hold on um i mean i mean for real like what's today's date it's the 16th okay it's the following monday uh no wait 16th 19th oh yeah yeah it's tomorrow um (laughs) very organized here at space bear media no okay guys We're going to move on. Uh, Tomorrow, you get our trip to the sex club, okay? And then in August, we have a few things going on. We're going to talk about what it's like to love someone with mental illness. We are going to talk about the time that Ben and I were used by a unicorn. And we are also going to have a special bonus episode in the fifth week of August on the 30th. And we are going to answer your questions, listener questions. So listen, I came up with an idea And I created a little website, web address, whatever, it doesn't matter, where you can come and ask us questions about us anonymously, and we will answer them on Mowage. Check in the show notes. I'll have a link there. But you can also go to ansr.me slash qchtp and ask us any question you want, and we will answer it on the Mowage podcast. So... Why are we unsure of Zero Shame Stories Season 2? And why, well, other than the reasons we gave you, are we doing Mowage as a limited series? Mostly it's because we really want to focus on Lost in our 40s. And I know that we have gone over this like a bazillion times, but guys, we're really fucking excited about this podcast. It's actually going to be great. And all of the things that we learned from this podcast and from Mowage and... We are taking all of that and every lesson and we're putting it into this new podcast and we're super fucking excited. And there are other lost rewatch podcasts out there, but ours has Derek. And Derek has never seen the show. And what I can tell you right now is like I am already totally fucking immersed in living vicariously through Derek experiencing the show for the first time and I am loving it and you are going to fucking love it. And if you have never seen it, then you can go on this journey with Derek as well and like 
for reals. I'm fucking psyched. And speaking of Derek. Honey, do you have the outline open that I have? No. So this is really funny because I made a little outline for myself tonight about things I wanted to bring up. And literally number six says, speaking of Derek. Well, I, I <laughs> we, we have been together for quite a while. I mean, I, I think I can probably anticipate some of these things. So. so speaking of Derek, Derek is one of the four hosts on Lost in My 40s. And he has never seen Lost. And he's watching it for the first time in the podcast. It's going to be fucking great, guys. But tonight, today, right Fucking now, you're going to get to hear from Derek because I interview him about the time that he was the victim of a murder for hire plot. This is an incredible story. Failed one, obviously. Clearly. I am not a medium. And so he is Go alive. medium. <laughs> so he, he is alive to tell the tale. It is an incredible tale. And I really... Don't see that there is anything more that I have to say, except here is Derek. Hey, welcome everybody. We are here today with my friend Derek, and we are going to talk about quite a story uh, where Derek was the victim of a murder attempt. Um, so, welcome, Derek. Thanks for joining us today and and being willing to uh, talk about this uh, event. Thank you, Lacey. Yeah. Uh, so we start starting everybody this season with how we know each other. And so you and I met through my husband, Ben, and you and he have known each other for quite a while, I believe. Yeah, about 25 years. Yeah, mid-90s, I guess. And you guys worked together? Yep. Yeah. Um. So, right. So you guys became friends. I think it was like within the first year of dating, um... Uh, with Ben and I, he went to he did a boys trip with you and one other guy to Costa Rica, and that was like the first time I heard of you. And then we met uh, at our wedding in Las Vegas a couple of years ago. That was Shit. a fun event. Three. It was three years ago now. Jesus. Three. Uh, <laughs> the pandemic doesn't count. Yeah, we skipped <laughs> a, a year, year and a half yeah. there. <laughs> right. Um. So anyways, yeah, and and you will also be joining us as a host on our um, podcast coming in September, Lost in My 40s, where uh, three of us, Ben and I and my friend of 20 plus years, Christy, will be re-watching the show Lost, and you will be watching it for the first, first time. Yep, I've never seen the show before. Yeah, so we have started recording that. It's, it's fun uh, so far, and I'm loving, like... Uh, Witnessing you go through all of the kind of emotions of the show for the first time. It's interesting. Yes, it um, is. And it's a good show so far. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah. So today we're going to talk about something that happened to you. You were the victim of um, a, a essentially murder 
Well, let's see. Uh, we're going to start off by saying uh, clearly you're you're okay. Not that um, you didn't suffer. Um, everyone was caught. People have gone to jail for this. But essentially, the gist is we're going to hear about four people who got together and decided they wanted to rob you. And two of them were offered your car if they did the deed, while the other two were going to take your stuff. And um, let's talk about how how that happened. Yes, it was actually five people that were involved. I'm sorry, five people, excuse me. Um, well, I knew the main conspirator, his name was Jason, and his girlfriend, Ashley. I'd known them through a, another acquaintance of mine that I'd met about a year and a half before. And um, the other three that were on the scene that night, I had just met that night. And they were friends of Jason and Ashley. And that was, yes, that was on June 25th, uh, 1997. And I was actually at a friend, a mutual friend's house of me, Ben, and the other guy I went to Costa Rica with. And Ben and that friend had went to, I believe, Waterburger or somewhere to get food. And I was left with the mutual friend. I got a text from... Ashley saying, you want to hang out? I said, fine. So I left and met them at another friend's house in Plano. So, so when she sent this text, this was just the first step in their plan. Like it was already in motion that they were going to attack you at this point. Right? Yes. I found out later in the trials that they had been planning this for months. Yeah. I guess, you know what, this is something else that we should say while you, while you, um, Recall this story for us. Uh, some of the details are things that you remember. Some of the details are things you were told by the police after the fact, right? And then some of the things um, are things that came out of the trial, which legally you were not allowed to watch, but your parents did and filled you in on some of the other testimony. So that that's correct. So that's going to make kind of the the as complete a picture as we can um, with the details of the story. So yes. Okay, so um, so go ahead. So you're like, all right, I'm just going to go hang out with these people. You know, no biggie. We're in, what, your 20s, early 20s at that point. I was 22. doing the same. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. doing the same thing. You run off, you hang out with groups of people. Sure. So um, I met them at this friend's house. Um, they all got into the car with me. At the time, I was driving a 1996 Camaro Z28 SS, which was an expensive car for a 22-year-old to have. And that and was, was part the, of the reason that they they made you a target, right? They were a little bit jealous of that, a little angry at you, is what you found out in the trial? Yes, because, you know, I grew up in a good home, and I worked, and I had things, and they didn't, and they were envious of that, and they felt they just should take it from me, that they were, you know, owed it, I guess. So, Jeez. for in exchange for the car, you know, they would beat me up, take the car and my credit cards as well, and give it to the, you know, conspirators, which were Jason and Ashley. So, we meet up. And uh, we go to 7-Eleven down the street and get beer because only a couple of us were over 21. Everyone else was under underage, so we couldn't go to a bar or anything. So we end up driving to a, a lake nearby named Lake Levon, and we you know, parked at a boat ramp and um, got out and started drinking and just hanging out and you know talking. And I didn't think anything was out of the ordinary, and after maybe... 30, 45 minutes being out there, a state trooper came up and basically ran us off. 
you know, said, you can't be out here after dark. You know, you shouldn't be, you know, we hit all the alcohol. So he didn't see that. And so we decided to go um, up to McKinney, which is a uh, suburb north of Dallas. So when you were at the lake, though, uh, what was it that you were told later was their original plan? And, and, the, and that was abandoned, I guess, because the police showed up. Yeah, the original plan was that they were going to drug my beer so that I would pass out and then they would throw me into the lake and I would drown. And that's what they told the police eventually yes. is that mm-hmm. that was the original plan. So the cops showed up and then <laughs> later in the trial, uh, they were able to use the footage in the cop car's dash cam that placed all of you at the scene at the lake and everyone was identifiable on that tape. Right. Yes. That was a key thing in the trial that put us all together that night. You know, all yeah. six of us were on the dash cam footage. Wow. So it's kind of lucky, I guess, that the cop decided to break that party up. Yes, absolutely. That, I mean, for the trial, I don't mean to say any part of this was lucky. I mean, this is a horrible thing that happened, but you know, in a way I'm glad that that evidence was there, obviously. Um, okay, so a couple of people left at this point, right? And you guys kind of went for another drive and ended up just on some random dirt road. Yeah, we went to a, a local pancake house um, up in McKinney. And the two, Jason and Ashley, said they had to go meet someone. And they left. So me and the other three, which were their names are Jariah, TJ, and Diane, we went to a a road that they knew up there in McKinney that if no one would, you know, bother us and we were going to continue, you know, our partying or whatever you want to call it. And Jason and Ashley were going to meet us later. All right. So you're doing, you know, what any other kind of 20, 22 year old might be doing. And then, um, this is about when it goes wrong. Uh, right. Yeah. It was probably around midnight, 1230. And we were just kind of walking down the road, just talking and they were behind me. And then all of a sudden, I feel something hit me in the back of the head, which turned out to be a bottle, an empty beer bottle. And then one of them wrapped their arms around me, but I was able to get out of my shirt and start running back to my car. Because my first thought was to get the hell out of there. Because I knew something, obviously I knew something was you know, going to go wrong real bad. So I got to the car and I wasn't able to close the door fast enough. And you know, one of the guys was actually pretty big and he, you know, he punched me in the face a few times and then told me to get out of the car or he would, you know, break my neck was his words. So I decided to comply. I figured, you know, just give him the car and whatever else and be on my way. And at this point you were thinking, well, they're just going to rob me, whatever, take my shit, leave me here. It hadn't crossed your mind what, what they were planning at this point. No, it, it hadn't. And I knew I had a shotgun in the trunk of my car that I'd always carried with me. I didn't think about going for that. I'm probably glad I didn't because if he would have got a hold of it that quick, it may have gone far worse. Yeah, so at this point, you're thinking, all right, he's, you know, they're, they're just going to rob me. But then he asks you, is this when he says to go to... To walks you to the back of the car and tells you to get yeah, he goes, on your he, knees? Yeah, he tells me to get on my knees behind the car, and they open the trunk and take out the shotgun and point it at me. And so you know it's loaded because it's yours, and you kept it that way in the trunk. And he's yep, got I knew it, it had five rounds. He's got it pointed at the back of your head. 
No, he was facing me. Facing you. Okay. Um. So I think you you had explained to me previous when we talked about this previously that at this point you your memory of these events is kind of shaky. It's in and out. There are yes. portions where you can remember things happening, but you can't quite remember why or exactly how it, it came to be, which I think has a lot is a not uncommon with traumatic events. Um, but this is one of those moments where you said you don't quite remember the conversation, but you somehow managed to talk him into removing the bullets from the gun. Right? Yes. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what I told him, but I do remember, you know, even, you know, instructing him how to unload the five shells from the shotgun. Okay. So then they, you know, they were, uh, the girl, Diane, was going through my car, you know, you know, looking for valuables. And I was just, you know, dealing back there, complying. And I just said, you know, take my keys, take my, I got a cell phone back then, Primeco phone, I remember. And um, that's it. And so then I asked if I could smoke a cigarette because I smoked back then and they, you know, let me have one of my cigarettes. And I remember I was about halfway through the cigarette when I remember just bam in the back of the head, everything went gray. I got thrown forward. I remember saying, why the fuck did you do that? And it turned out they had hit me in the back of the head with a two by four. Jesus Christ. So. Okay. Um. So at this point, you you you're uh, clearly you're on the ground and he, you've been hit in the head with a two by four. You eventually find out that you suffered forty three head wounds during this entire beating that went on for hours. Right? Yes, and I do remember one of the last things I remember saying to them was, "Do you really think you're going to get away with this?" And what's going to happen when Jason and Ashley come back? And they said, well, we're going to Mexico and Jason and Ashley will get the same thing. So actually at that point in the assault, I didn't realize or believe that Jason and Ashley had anything to do with it. Oh, you okay. You came to find out later that they were in on the, the whole plan, right. essentially. Yeah. So, okay. So at this point, you've you've been hit in the head with a bottle and a two by four, but they also used the butt end of the shotgun and a lamp that they found laying out in the in the road or in a ditch. Yes, they- in fact, in a trial, I remember they showed the gun, and it was a pistol grip shotgun with a very hard PVC plastic grip, and that thing was completely broken. They hit me with it so many times. There was a lamp out there and a two by four, and their fists and feet. Yeah, so 43 head wounds, and then you were told six of them had the potential to be fatal? Yeah, I remember the first time, you know, the doctor told me, you said you received six fatal wounds, and I said, well, they weren't fatal because I'm here. He goes, (laughs) well, they normally would cause, you know, you to die, but you were lucky in the fact that, like, the there's something to do with the bone didn't penetrate my brain, so. Wow. Because, you know, I see these crime shows where someone's hit in the head once, you know, with a crowbar or something, and they die. I'm like, wow, that was really bad luck. <laughs> or I was extremely lucky, whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thinking it has something to do with the former, the uh, yes. theatrics <laughs> of it, but yeah. Um, okay, so, so this beating went on, and they're smashing shit 
into your head for about two hours and they left you there just kind of wandering and confused in the street and came back a little while later, right? Yep. They said that I was wandering around in the field and that whenever they you know, came back the first time, they called to me and I came over to them, you know, because I guess I was so out of it. But they had gone to a um, Walmart and got a purchased uh, black trash bag and some duct tape. And came back. Yes. Mm-hmm. And because the whole planned- intention of that was to, you know, wrap it around my head and I suffocate, which they did. They did wrap it around my head. I don't remember they- that part. And right. So part of what you were told later is that they had wrapped it around your head and taped it around your shoulders. Is that what? Yes, yeah, pretty much my chest and shoulders. And one, what they claimed was is one of them all of a sudden felt bad about it and poked some kind of hole in it so that I wouldn't die. But what the detectives and everyone else told me was that I was just so bloody because head wounds are that way. That I had so much blood on me that the tape didn't make a perfect seal. So they left you there to suffocate and you were able to get out. And at this point, you begin to crawl toward a light. Is that right? Yes, I do remember this part briefly. I was crawling through a field. And I think it was, they said it was three quarters of a mile or so. And I just remember seeing this light in the distance. You know, it was obviously someone's house, you know, light to their house, but I just, I just had a drive to go there and i ended up i finally made it there and got up on their porch because it was a farmhouse type thing it had like a wooden swing and all that and i do remember weekly knocking on the door i'm like laying on my stomach um, i think i was shirtless shoeless sockless covered in ant bites is what they said oh my and, god um, yeah my, i remember my mom said my feet were all bit up from and also cut up because I was crawling, you know, barefoot through all this crap. And I think barbed wire, too. But she was your mother, though. She was pleased that you didn't have any broken teeth, right? Yes, she was. Because she-, <laughs> she goes, you had two sets of braces for four years as a kid. And I didn't want that to go to waste. I was like, well, thanks, Mom. Right. The little things, I guess. Okay, yes. so you are laying your face down on this porch in the middle of nowhere, bloodied and beaten up. Trying to knock on the door, but it's what four in the morning at this point, or something? And yeah, something nobody... about that four or five in the morning. Yeah. So you just curled up and and took a nap on the on the porch swing. Is that right? Yeah. Well, they said I was sitting up. Oh, um, okay. What happened was it's a the older farm couple, so they get up early, probably five or six in the morning, and she actually made her husband cereal, but the milk was bad. It was sour, so she went to go throw it out the back door, and when she opened it, she saw a bloody mess. That was me. Oh screamed, God. dropped the bowl, and called, closed the door, locked it, and called the police. Yeah, uh, I think I would do know, the like, same. If the people who had done this to me were still you know, out and about. Sure, yeah. Or, I mean, if you were the dangerous one, who the hell knows? You show up covered in blood. Um, Yeah, so she called the police. And then I guess you you were in shock, but you were able to, you were repeating one statement, really, kind of over and over to everyone, right? Yeah, I kept saying they beat me up and stole my car. 
And then they had you outside when the police were there. And what happened while they while the paramedics were kind of checking you out? Yeah, I remember the fire firemen were there and the paramedics. They were, you know, cutting off my clothes. I guess that's what they do. And I heard my car because my car had a unique exhaust. And I heard it. And I said, they're back. I hear my car. And I remember the firemen or one of them said, oh, no, you're just you're hallucinating. But they really were back. But this time they came with another person and a gun. So I guess they either knew they failed or thought they failed or were double checking, triple checking, I guess, at this point, but had found someone else who was willing to execute you. Pretty much, yes. Yeah, they were going to use his gun to do it. And he actually testified, like he got immunity and testified before the grand jury and all that. So he was one of the key witnesses that was able to bag them all. Wow. Um, okay. So you were airlifted to the hospital. You were not in good shape. Like we said, 43 head wounds, six fatal. Um, what were some of the other injuries, some of the more specific ones? Um, I have a, well, my cheek was shattered, so I have a titanium plate in the right side of my face. Uh, one of my ears was practically torn off, so they had to rebuild it from cartilage elsewhere. Uh, my chin was pretty messed up, because they said they used a shotgun, like a golf club on it. Oh, my and, God. Uh, yeah. That's pretty much, most of the injuries, were, or actually all the injuries were, you know, just on my head. Uh, you spent nine days in the hospital? Yes. And you had five hours of plastic surgery kind of just right off the bat, right? Yep. That's they, they fixed my forehead. Yeah. It, was, it was all torn up in my ear and chin. That is fucking wild, Derek. Um, your parents were on vacation. They had to be called and told that you were assaulted and nearly killed. And, um, well, I guess we already got that punchline out. Your mom was real happy about the teeth. Yes. <laughs> well, what was funny was when they called the detective, who's now a justice of the peace, he, he told my dad, he said, well, Derek has a mouse on his eye. And my dad, being from up north, didn't really know what that meant. You know, he thought that like I was attacked by a mouse and it bit my eye. <laughs> That was, that was the first thing he thought, because why are you calling me about that? But I know, that would be like, why would the police be involved in that? Um, all righty. But I of guess course, my mom corrected and said, well, it looks like he got, you know, it's, I think it's a term for a bruise. Okay. You know, <laughs> yeah, which is more than a bruise. Yeah. But I remember telling you when the detective asked me you know, about my parents, I said, oh, no, don't bother them. They're on vacation, because I didn't realize how bad I was. And he actually thought that we were fighting, because I didn't want to call him. And my mom said, no, no, we're getting along great. Oh. It was just I didn't think I was in such bad shape. Well, you hadn't you hadn't seen yourself, no. right? You didn't actually get to look at yourself or the condition that your face was in for days. And honestly, I didn't right. even feel it when it happened. It didn't hurt like I expected it would. And of course, by the time I was in the hospital, I'm sure they had me filled with painkillers. Right. So what you mean is you you didn't actually experience a lot of pain during during the ordeal. Your body. No. None at all, actually. It's, I guess the body just shuts it down some kind of way. Yeah, well, it might it might go hand in hand with the missing memories where, right. the, you know, your brain is just like not allowing you to experience that stuff to, to protect you, essentially. Yeah, that's really interesting. 
Um, okay, so while you were in the hospital recovering from these heinous injuries, two people were arrested right away. Um, but it took a little while to round everyone up, right? So let's talk about who got arrested right away and why, because it's kind of amazing. Yeah, TJ and Dry, the ones that beat on me, they got arrested the next morning because I actually remembered their names. You know, when the detective mm-hmm. asked me, and I, I named everybody. Yeah. And they were at some kind of house where vagrants and drifters hang out near that lake with my car in the front and the SWAT team, you know, got them out of bed and arrested them. Yeah. Just so they, to be a fun experience. Right. Oh, God. <laughs> so they, they hadn't left for Mexico and they were just like sleeping with your car in the driveway. Yeah, they had driven my car, I believe, like <laughs> 100 miles, like Joy Road okay. in it, put some fuzzy dice in the... Oh, my God. The, yes, it had fuzzy dice in the, no. um, in the rear view mirror. <laughs> Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. And I guess they just went to this place and went to sleep. And, of course, as soon as they were arrested, they ratted the other three out. Right. So the other three uh, were arrested later. And two of them, because they were stupid enough to use your credit card more than once, right? Yeah, um, we decided to keep one of my credit cards active so the police could track them. And they first got them in Mesquite at a mall. It's another suburb of Dallas. And they were they bought like over $1,000 worth of merchandise. And the cashier, she just, it didn't fit. It didn't seem right. So, mm-hmm. you know, declined the transaction. She actually testified against them. And they decided, you know, Diane, she got caught, you know, she never left McKinney. She actually lived there. They mm-hmm. got her. And then the two, Jason and Ashley, ended up all the way in El Paso. And then when the when they caught up with them in El Paso, what did what did Jason do? Well, he was so smart that he used my credit. They stayed in some kind of motel and he bought the entire motel pizza <laughs> on my credit card so of course the police show up instead of the pizza and him and her were engaged or something i guess i guess they're trying to be like a bonnie and clyde i don't know <laughs> but he was such a chivalrous fellow that he they're on the second floor he jumps off the second floor balcony and leaves her to get caught <laughs> no honor among thieves i guess no god um yeah it's <sighs> these people are awful and vicious what they did to you but they really sound kind of stupid too luckily they were yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, they were they're just fucked up criminals, and they didn't know how to kill someone properly. Yeah. So let's talk about the trials because you had to testify in more than one, right? Yeah, um, Diane she pled guilty because she was going to testify against all of them. So you know, two of them, uh, TJ and Dry, they pled guilty, but I still had to testify because of the punishment phase, so the mm-hmm. judge could you know determine what they get. The other two, they pled not guilty. Because they weren't at the scene, they thought maybe they could get away with it. Tell me a little bit about the trial from your point of view. I think, like we mentioned earlier, legally, as a witness, you weren't able to... Um, sit and watch the trial, but your parents did. Um, and so 
Let's talk about the things that you learned and then also how you were treated by the de- the defense attorneys because they did they did kind of come at you a little bit, right? Yeah, um one of their defenses was that they they tried to claim that I was some sort of drug dealer or something because I had a nice car, I had credit cards, but what it was is I worked worked two jobs at a time and I lived at home so I didn't have rent or anything. Um but I remember one of you know when they would, you know, cross-examine me, you know, usually the prosecutor would say objection or whatever. And so he was one of the defense attorneys was badgering me about this whole drug thing. Oh, well, you know, you must deal drugs. And I, I asked him a question. I was like, well, do you think I'm dealing drugs or something like that? And he actually objected to me asking him a question and the judge sustained it, which I thought was kind of funny. Hmm. <laughs> well, okay. But do drug dealers deserve to be beaten? And left for dead. I don't even understand that. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what is grasping that defense? Through straws. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what that what that defense is, but okay. Um, what was it like to have to see them in court and point them out? Um, actually, I was. I felt relieved because I knew they were in custody and pretty mm-hmm. sure they were going to get long prison terms. So I was. I mean, you know the had a lot of memories about what happened. That was the first time I had seen them since that night. Wow. Were you nervous when they were still on the loose, when they were not all uh, all arrested? Um, well, not too bad because my dad is a well, was a big gun owner, so if they would have come, it wouldn't have been good for them. And he was ready. Okay. He was all... I, I mean, I was nervous, like, when I would go out of the house, like, going to work, you know, driving to and from, things like mm-hmm. that. They, you know, I didn't know if they could jump me there. So what was it like um after it was all over? How how would you would you say that you had PTSD or I mean I don't want to like try to diagnose you but some sort of trauma response to all of this, I guess? Oh, absolutely asking? for probably at least a year afterward I would never let anyone stand behind me even friends even like ben other good friends mm-hmm. had even my own parents like i would sometimes stand up against a wall or in the corner because i just did not want anyone behind me because that's how the whole thing started right right when they hit you with the bottle yeah. at first right um how about any lasting physical effects do you you do get dizzy sometimes still is that right it used to be a lot more frequent like i would just lay if i laid down my head a certain way the room would spin i mean it still occasionally happens i'll just get that random dizziness mostly when i you know lay down or something mm-hmm. but luckily as, as many injuries as i sustained i didn't get any lasting effects like no neurological damage or anything like that i did have a subdural hematoma but it went away by itself which was good oh that's good yeah what were their sentences they were all they were all either pled guilty or found guilty, right? Yeah, Diane, because she pled guilty and she got twenty years. Um she served about she got released after eight, but she had a drug problem and other problems and she kept going in and out for their the whole entire twenty years. Okay. Um TJ and Jirai, the ones who beat me, and Ashley got forty years each. And then Jason, the ringleader, got life. That's intense. Um, well, because he had a, a record 
before pretty extensive. And one of the things he was actually on probation for was stealing his parents' credit cards. Oh, for God's sake. He was a fine character. Wow. Now, some of them are out, correct? All but Jason were released. Um, like I said, Diane, she's uh, was out. I see, probably twenty seventeen. She finally got out of state custody. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other three got released twenty nineteen and last year. How does that make you feel? And were you notified? Do they do they tell you when? Yes, somebody- I signed up for this thing. I get letters. I got calls, mm-hmm. emails, everything. And I actually, you know, would write letters. Had me and friends write letters to the parole board when they were up for parole. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, they even said I could have gone down there. I didn't know that at the time because I would have gone down and testified against them. But so when they got out, of course, I tracked them on Facebook. I have an alternate profile, and I found them all and. Mm-hmm. One of them lives in South Texas. One lives in Louisville, and he's found Jesus. Like, he paints and makes art oh, no. with Jesus. Yes. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, if it's going to keep him from, like, robbing and beating people, then I guess you just yes, go right ahead. Yes, you can find whoever <laughs> he wants to, you know, find right spaghetti ahead. monster. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, does is Jason eligible for parole at some point? Um, yeah, I believe he will be eligible in 2028 for the first time. Because it's the one life without parole. We only give that for murder here. Okay. Will you uh, Will you testify? Um, yes, if- because I think of all of them, he'd be the one to may try to get revenge since he was, he was pretty much the ringleader of the whole thing. Yeah, I can... Um- I can see why you would have those concerns when the crime itself stemmed from sort of his jealousy of you, I guess, in a way, and then you sent him to prison. Like, I, I guess I could see that. Um, yeah. yeah, my dad, he yeah. he listened to the entire testimony. Mom couldn't the whole thing because she was like a witness for the sentencing, you know, how it affected her. I mean, she did a good job, you know, saying how affected her life but yeah my dad said Mm -hmm. the whole common theme was they hated me because i had things that i worked for and they didn't that's really disturbing that's a really disturbing motive because it's just it's so that's so personal for for such a lame reason that's weird well i know to ruin your entire life just because someone had something and you didn't yeah it's just Wow. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. That that um, yeah. That I've heard you. I've heard this story a couple times now, and every time I have that same reaction where it just feels so senseless. It's just kind of like, just why? Why would you do that? Life in prison over a car. I guess you had for like two days. Or yeah, because day. one of these guys <laughs> was just seventeen years old. So I mean, he ruined his entire life for a car. For a night. That's terrible. That's terrible. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, I guess I want to ask you just kind of one more thing. Um, at some point during the entire incident, you realized, okay, that that they were not necessarily going to just rob you, that they might actually try to kill you. Um, what... What was that like? What was that realization like? And kind of what what were the things that went through your head 
<clears throat> as you're imagining, you know, I might not get out of this. Yeah, I was just like, you know, like I said, I offered them cars, keys, and cell phone, and they um, kept doing it. So I was like, yeah, they might be trying like to have no witnesses. You know, whenever yeah. I said, you think you're going to get away with this, you know, you know, that's when probably the fear started to creep in. But one thing that was also said in the trial that may have been one of the reasons they beat on me so long is because I never begged them. Like I didn't beg for my life. And that, that angered made, them. That made them mad. They told the yeah. police that made them mad. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I guess you just, um, was it, was it like you just kind of turned into survival mode? It was, I just need to say and do what I've got to do to get, to get through this. Yes, pretty much. Just going like an autopilot and, yeah. you know, Hey, hope you make it out of there. And I did, thankfully. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Thank you so much for, for talking to us about this today. Um, it's an incredibly personal and traumatic event, but a really incredible story. So I appreciate that you uh, came here and uh, shared it with us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much, Lacey. All right. Um, well, thank you. And, uh, you know, we'll see you back in a few weeks, several weeks, I guess, um, for Lost in My 40s. And all right. Until then. Bye. Bye. Next week, join me for the last episode of season one of Zero Shame Stories, and it's another special episode. Me and my best girlfriend of 20-plus years get drunk on mimosas and reminisce about all the wild times we've had. I apologize in advance for how obnoxious my voice is by the end. See you then! Zero Shame Stories is a Space Bear Media production. Executive produced by me, Lacey J. Sound engineering and original music by the sexiest husband around, Benjamin Trim. You can reach us at spacebear underscore media on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find more of me at Zero Shame 40s on Facebook and TikTok. The views expressed by our guests are not necessarily that of the show. We're just here to give you a voice. 